I mean, it's a shame that it takes all of this just to, you know, not have racist opinions or to be a racist or to um, know the history of another culture, especially black culture in America. But um, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic about everything. And that's just real quick too. I think it's really, I think my optimism is, it's very tough for me to be optimistic a little bit because like when you, we keep talking about history, right? And again, we were slaves three, 400 years. Um, and you know, 60, 70 years ago, we were fighting for the right to be a whole human. We wanted to, we did want to ask a question because it is dad's night, right? It is about the dads. Um, and so we wanted to shift gears just a little bit before we kind of jump back into asking kind of about the historical frame of reference. So a lot of things are going on. Um, you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of moving pieces. I mean, Cal and Ruff, you both touched on a variety of different things. Like, you know, Ruff, everyone's, a lot of white people are starting to be very, very nice to you out of nowhere, right? Kelvin, you've kind of touched on the systematic oppression of black people. Um, so, Ruff, like, how are you explaining this to your young kid? Or have you had to? Or are you going to in the future? Yeah, she's, uh, she's only four. So she's a little too young to understand. Um, so I haven't had that conversation just yet, but it's, it's, you know, all of this going on has definitely made me think about the future more and how I will be explaining these things to her. And also, you know, my wife being pregnant now, I will be raising a black son eventually. So I'll just have to think about, um, you know, how his experience will be through life and the things that he'll see and things that he'll need to learn and understand just being who he is. Um, but when you said that question, I, I kind of thought of something for a minute, just uh, seeing my daughter, um, even though she is very young, I think that the whole idea of um, systemic oppression starts kind of at a young age and I don't know if this, I'll try to keep, try to stay with me, but kids, you know, four or five years old and you, you're on TV and um, from a young age, they're already depicting an image of beauty as like blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, all the shows that she's watching are, you know, there's very little people of color on TV. Like, I don't know if other races even think about this, but if you're listening, like go to your TV and flip through 50 channels, tell me how many black people you see on TV. And it's gonna be a fairly low number. So I think that, um, I think that you have to kind of uh, teach your kids from a young age and, and kind of expose them to things outside of just trying to educate them on TV. Like they have to go and be around other kids um, so that's something that I, I plan on doing when she gets older, along with the lessons, but she needs to be very, um, cultured. 
um, in person as well. Yeah, and I, I think one of the that's a that's a real good point, uh, Ralph, because I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast with uh, Kevin Hart on it, and I think I sent it to you, um, but there was a clip in there where Kevin Hart was talking about his daughter and how she wanted to have her hair a certain way because mm-hmm. it was more beautiful or something along those lines. And it's like, well, let me explain to you that like you can't do it that way and you can still look beautiful. Right. And it's like almost like retraining the brain, these kids that are beautiful all in their own ways to like, it's okay not to look like that person. That's not the beauty like that. It, it, yeah. It's like the underlining of like, systematically we're taught that like this is the way to look this is the beautiful way and another point i watched a video on muhammad ali today he was talking about like why is like the best things in this world like white and like um white frosting that's the best cake white dreading wedding dress that's the best dress Mm -hmm. and like everything bad is prefaced with black right like he said blackmail uh black cat is bad luck like things like that that are so little that we kind of like glance over that are a part of the system. Yeah. Um, oh, so that's that, my daughter. She, I mean, she said that before she said, I want my hair to look like Elsa. And I say, well, you and Elsa have different hair. So, you know, you can't really, <laughs> mm-hmm. can't really uh, do that. But going back to the, the black and white thing, I mean, there was a, I seen a, a long time ago, I think there was a, like a study with a bunch of kids and they had um, white Barbie dolls and, and black ones. And they said, which one's the good doll? And they pointed to the white doll, which one's the bad doll? And they pointed to the black doll. It's just like kids are conditioned from a young age. And there's a lot of subtle things um, in the things that they watch. And it's primarily because people in, in these places and these corporations and all of the top of these companies, they are primarily white people. So um, we live in a world where, you know, everything shown to us does not really reflect us. And uh, so, yeah, I guess when you're raising your kids, you just have to be mindful of that. So, Ruff, you, you bring up, I mean, part of that, you bring up an amazing point that, that these things are learned. So, you know, do, do you or, or you, Kelvin, do you think these things can be unlearned or does that just stick with you forever? I mean, I, well, I, well um, and again, I'm not trying to sit up here and act like you know, we've got all the answers at all, you know, but, uh, you know, KJ's room is, is, is filled with books of children that look like him. Carmen's library is filled with books of little girls who look like her, will look like her, have her same hair texture. We specifically bought a book, a children's book, that the title is like, uh, My Curly Hair is Beautiful. Um, so, you know, Ruff brought up something huge, which is, you know, the power of media, the power of imagery, how that plays into the stereotypes that get created. Um, you know, just not just in the United States, but just around the world of of the American black person, female or and male. Um, and I just want to make sure I say something too, like while on record, like 
black women are treated are treated treated worse than black men. There's no there is no gender and race in the world. Uh, might maybe in world history of the human human race that is treated worse than the black female um, in all shapes and forms. So definitely mindful of it. I think you know to answer your question, Sam, about children and what we're doing. Um, you know, KJ, KJ's four, Carmen's ones. So we have that conversation, just like you said, Rob, but, but their experience is already different than, you know, a lot of their friends. Um, you know, when KJ was going to daycare, he'd come home and he'd, you know, have a lot, he'd do like play gun sounds or have his hand in the shape of a gun. And, you know, me and Ruth had to like, um, beat it out of him with our words that you don't play like that. You, you for sure don't play like that in public. My son, you know, to this day is not allowed to have a play gun in the front yard, uh, whether it's a water gun, anything. It's all in the backyard and not of the backyard's fenced. He's allowed to have, you know, his water gun out. Uh, we don't take gun, we don't take play guns to parks. Uh, he doesn't imitate that. Um, my son is not allowed to have his hands in his pockets in public. Um, there's just a lot of things that he's just getting taught at a very young age that he, he probably has no clue why dad is constantly on him about these little things. But I'm doing it because I know I have to because this is what my mom taught me. You don't go out in public and be in a store with your hands in your pocket. You don't play out in public like you got a gun. Um, you know, just, yeah, you, you don't do certain things as a black person. And he's learning that at four. Wow. Just to piggyback off that real quick, um, just the things that you were saying and, and the things that, that your mom taught you, Kelvin. Um, I think offline I had a quick conversation with Samer and um, I think you and him were talking about how when you learn to drive, you um, first learn how to drive and then your mom was telling you what to do if you get pulled over by the police, right? Yeah, so I got my permit in Virginia when I was like 15 and a half or whatever it is. And then, you know, when I turned 16, I was able to get my, you know, my, my L. Um, and... <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you know, my mom pulled me over to the side and, and kind of let me know that, um, you know, here's your gas station, you know, uh, card. It has $20 on it. You know, that's your 20 for the month. So, you, you know, you better figure out how you're going to get around with that. And then at the same time, she let me know, hey, when you, if you get pulled over, you know, you immediately put your hands on the dashboard or on the wheel. Um, and you hold them there. And then when the officer asks you for your license, you look at him in the face and you ask him, sir, my license is in X pocket. My license is here. May I reach there and get it? I'm going to reach there with my right hand if that's okay. You then reach for your license, you get out, you hand it to them, and immediately your hands go back on the wheel of the dashboard. At no point in time do you... Um, disrespect this officer at no point in time do you uh not look at this officer when you're speaking to him 
Um, and at no point in time is this officer not yes sir, yes ma'am, no sir, no ma'am. Um, and that's how you move. So I, I thought this was law. So the reason I brought that up is because I was taught the same exact thing. And when Samer said he wasn't aware that, you know, I think, I think Samer, you were surprised by the fact that his mom had to teach him that. And I'm sitting over here thinking that this is a normal thing. This is what you have to do when you get pulled over by the police. You keep your hands on the wheel. You ask to reach for whatever it is that you need and you're respectful and you know what I mean? But apparently everyone's experience isn't the same. So I, I wanted to bring that up just kind of to point out the fact that some of the things that we think are just normalized actually are not. And it's because when we're raised, um, you know, our parents have to literally teach us how to survive. And it's, it's just, it's just pretty ridiculous, pretty crazy to think about that. Well, I, I mean, I think based on uh, the current state of the world, that what both of you were just talking about is, I think really helpful advice for other black dads, black parents. Um, but also it's just fucking sad to hear that human beings have to like live like, you know, actually have to consider that when raising their children. I mean, that's sad um, and unfortunate. And, you know, hopefully uh, the goal is with all of, all of these protests and <clears throat> whatever else is going on, people trying to change whatever legislation they, they can influence, um, you know, hopefully that mindset will eventually change. Um, I know that's a lofty goal when you have this kind of generational influence and, and you know, we brought up uh, the concept of generational trauma um, in the last episode as well. When you have these things, it's like, it's, it's tough to say what's really gonna happen and what's really gonna stick. Um, but I hope, you know, black parents don't have to do that someday. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, I'll be honest. I think it's fucking bullshit that you guys have to do that. And I was, that's like me being privileged person, not even a white person, just being a person like, yeah, what? Like, what do you have to do? My, my dad was just like, just give me your license registration. Just make sure you grab it as quickly as possible. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, you know, I laugh about it, not in the way to like disrespect and, you know, minimize um, that type, that seriousness of it. But like the idea that like, I had no idea that some of my closest friends have to do this. And then that you'll have to probably teach your kids one day, this situation as you know, you have to, you're going to have a boy rough soon and Kelvin, your boy is growing. So like, that idea, like I've never thought, I've, I've never thought a day in my life that like one day I'd have to teach my kids like how to act around a police officer. Yeah. Yeah, and not even just a police officer. Like, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole of how many things my mom has taught me. Like even one just kind of random is like, my mom taught me to never leave a store without a receipt. Mm -hmm. No matter what, no matter what it is you bought, even if it's, a Jolly Rancher or whatever gas station you walk in, you get the, like you walk out with a receipt at all times. You go to Walmart, grocery store, you you walk out with the receipt. Um, 
in the event you need to show that receipt and of what you have in your car, what you have in your, you know, uh, cart, you know, there's proof of what you pay for. Um, so yeah, just little things like that, you know, that I know they're going to be taught to my children, but, um, you know, as a 30 year old man, when I spend two hundred dollars at Whole Foods, I'm still asking for this long ass receipt before I walk out the door, and it's just like crazy things my mom has, you know, instilled in me. My dad too, you know. I don't want to just continue to say my mom, but mom and dad. Yeah. So, uh, Kelvin, I, I I wanted to go back to. Um, you know, that, that little history lesson you were dropping earlier. And, and again, <laughs> historical context is important in any conversation, but especially um, with social issues because, uh, you know, your, your past makes up your present at the end of the day. I mean, that's just, a, that's just how it works. And uh, if we don't have a good understanding of that, it's tough to, it's tough to really like kind of pick your side and, and, um, move on and, and, you know, move in, in a positive direction if you, if you don't understand where things are coming from. Um, but also, Kelvin, your Whole Foods bill will be lower if you didn't just drink <laughs> all organic all the time, grass-fed, <laughs> grass-fed everything, farm to table. Uh, so, so, Kelvin, at, at your wedding, awesome wedding, by the way, um, you did something, you and Ruth did something that I had never seen before. Now, I had read about it, um, but it, it didn't even come back to me until I saw it in person. You and Ruth, uh, when you were married by the pastor, you stepped over a broomstick. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, anybody, uh, but that was how slaves um, had their wedding ceremony because it was illegal for slaves to get married. Um, so they would step over, jump over a broomstick um, to kind of like solidify the marriage, right? Yeah. Um, um, no, go ahead. So, well, I was just going to say, so I, I saw that at, at your wedding. That wasn't that long ago. That was a few years ago, right? Now, have you been able to speak to anybody in your family? Um, you know, we, t we talked about, we already brought up kind of, you know, the, the, the recent history of Jim Crow, the three-fifths rule. These things are not uh, that far off. Um, I mean, Jim Crow was still in effect up until the, the Civil Rights Act was, was passed in the, in the late 60s. Um, so uh, have you been able to speak to anybody personally, you know, from your family that experienced those things, Jim Crow laws, segregation, slavery, anything like that? Yeah, so I mean, um, so we, I mean, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit when, when I had my one-on-one -on -one podcast with, with you guys the first time around and talking about like, you know, my my grandmother's you know uh mother and great grandmother were slaves you know so in that sense it wasn't that long ago right when you put it in a family tree context um but, but my father-in-law um don't want to say an incorrect age on here being recorded but he's like 70 something and um you know he i stay up late late at night with him chopping it up he's a huge historian um who has put me on game to a lot of stuff that I didn't even realize, but um, he's talked about when he was a little boy, just uh, how he remembers in the South, uh, you know, colored bathrooms and colored 
water fountains um, or colored sections of restaurants and how when he was a little boy, he remembers he accidentally drunk out of the whites only water fountain and how he thought he was going to lose his life, you know? So like, and again, this is, this is Ruth's dad (laughs) that has, that has gone through these experiences as a, you know, a young child. Um, so again, just to put it in context, don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but it's like rough said earlier when people, when you get on Facebook and you see crazy stuff, because I feel like Facebook people just aren't able to write whatever they want to say, you know, let their true feelings out. Um, so it's good in that sense, but at the same time you see stuff and you're just like, wow, um, these people have no clue, you know, what in the world is going on out here and why. Yeah. That, and that's, that's exactly, you know, how I, I look at it too. Um, well, I try to at least, um, you know, knowing, knowing what I do, that these things are not so far removed. You just said your wife's dad had that experience at a segregated water fountain. I mean, th- these are baby boomers we're talking about, you know? I mean, think about it. These are, these are that, that generation, our, our parents. I mean, my, my dad, although not um, born in this country, I mean, just as a time frame, I mean, he was born during Jim Crow. I mean, that, that's, that is uh, something that, you know, we, we can't forget when it, when it comes to um, trying to find solutions for these kinds of things. It's like, yo, and, and understanding like rough when you were talking about, um, you know, when, when the protests, you know, turned into, you know, what they eventually turned into for a little bit there. Um, there's a lot of pain there. That's hurt. That's, that's pain. I mean, that's not, you know, you find me a person that isn't going to lose their cool when they get, when they're, when it comes to their family, because you're talking about your family tree. Name me a person who's not going to feel like that when you do something to their family. You're not going to find that person. I don't care what race or what color, where you're from. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, uh, again, man, I, I just think it's important we, t- we talk about where these things come from and where these feelings stem from. It's not just, you know, like you were saying, uh, Kelvin, it's not it's George Floyd. That stuff's been happening. It's, it built up. And it is cool to see this perfect storm happen, but it's like, you know, will, will that momentum last when things start to return to normal? Or, or are you just going to see a resurgence of those practices that, you know, led to all of this? Yeah, and I think, and to speak from a dad's perspective and like my children, do I think my children are gonna see a different world? Um, I'm not sure, just because of some of the, just because of some of the, um, some of the ways that people are coming up with, uh, some of the ideas people are throwing out there about how this can change or what, what can be done. Or for me, I'm just like, that ain't gonna work. Or I don't think that's gonna have any impact. Uh, so for example, defund the police, right? Or this and that, like defunding the police isn't gonna change their salaries or their financial, you know, their uh, their pensions or anything like that. Like you wanna, you wanna get the police to stop beating people up and killing folks, make them pay for the lawsuits themselves not our tax dollars, or make them have to pay for their own legal representation. 
and not our taxes. Make, make them, them have, have to, to pay for their firearms. Make it, that too. Make them have to pay for their firearms and their, uh, you know, anything. Like people have no clue how much we pay for out of our taxes for police in general, and they feel no financial uh, hardship for any anything they're doing. You know, little 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 people know countries are making billions of dollars off of police brutality. Yeah, and 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 it goes back to that kind of like uh, you know, the the way that that you described. You know, the reason that police were were set up and and really the whole economic structure that surrounds it um, from the inception of this country, it almost like comes back full circle. It's it's just so crazy to think about, and I think maybe you know that's something that uh, uh, is tough for people to wrap their heads around. Is that it, it, there was a whole, I mean, this was based off of something that was created by human beings to exploit a whole other group of human beings. Like that's a, that's a heavy concept to really live with. And I think most people, um, you know, find it more comfortable just to kind of like, be like, oh, well, you know, things are getting better and it's not as bad as it used to be. Like you, like, like you were saying rough, it's like, you know, um, yeah, well, slavery's, you know, it was a long time ago and, and these kinds of justifications, I think that's more for people themselves because they, because this is just really, really tough to, to, um, you know, really acknowledge as truth, as the real truth and where these things are really coming from. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like um, in terms of what Kelvin was saying, you don't know if this will, if the world will look different for your own kids. I'm, I'm not really sure either. I feel like um, I feel like at this point in time, and Kelvin, if you have a different opinion, let me know. I feel like it's almost not up to us as Black people anymore. Like we can only do so much change on our own. But if you know white people or you know, non-black people control the game, then how can it actually get better unless the people with the privilege actually implement the changes and wanna see change? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 50-50, right? Like the, um, you know, the grinder in me, the, the black excellence in me feels, and I truly believe this to like my core, that you know there will be one day where you know the entire black community has educated themselves has, is taking pride in ourselves we're no longer hurting ourselves financially or physically and we're doing things as a community um you know and and that alone is pushing us past a certain state but i also feel like like you said the powers that be have to do things i mean people talk all the time about how bad the hood is or how bad black neighborhoods are. And it's like, if you've ever spent time in the hood, um, there's all you see is police everywhere. You see liquor stores, you see gas stations, you, you don't see any grocery, like there, you don't see anything that says opportunity. 
it's not that expensive to build a community center in every single hood. Mm-hmm. It's not that expensive to make it a nonprofit or a government state, government-funded grant where the people that work there are paid appropriately in there. There's, there's people that have that want to make change that will dedicate themselves to a community to see change. Do that by setting up things to give folks opportunities to then strive for you know greatness or strive for X Y Z. Like when you don't have these things in our community, in our communities, it's almost like impossible to to make change. Um, I beat myself up all the time thinking myself, I mean, hey, how can I help my family? How can I help my cousins who I know are still struggling, who I know? And it's like, if I try to hit them over the head with this concept, it's not going to work. So what I do is I I try to be more um, involved with their children and try to interact with their children on social media more. And, you know, if you, if you need something, you want to chop it up, reach out to me or they'll comment on one of my financial posts and it's like, yeah, hit, hit me up, here's my number, Let, let's talk about it so I can, you know, better explain what this actually means or what credit means. It's like, I'm not putting it on, you know, their parents anymore because their parents are already, you know, down a certain path, unfortunately. But their children have that chance to, to make a change and get out. Um, so that's what my thought process is. I mean, it's just, I'm not trying to go down this rabbit hole. It's just so deep, man. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah, and going back to the, the point where, you know, these community centers can be built in these urban places. And the reason why there are so many police is a reflection of, you know, um, you know, the crime's going on, but it's because a lot of these kids literally have nothing to do, nowhere to go, and they're bored. And, you know, there's a whole other lane that we can go down talking about, you know, um, specifically black fathers and the role of the black man in the house and if he's not there, but, and then you've got a mom who could be working two jobs just to support. So who's raising the kids? The streets are raising the kids. You know what I mean? So, um, of course, the if kids get in trouble and teenagers, young adults get in trouble, there's going to be um, lots of crime in a certain area, which calls for more police in a certain area, more police contact. And in that sense, you know, it's inevitable not to get caught up in the system. And that's where a lot of kids make mistakes. But like Kelvin was saying, if there were these community centers and, and things um that you know um kids can go to and if people from the community actually wanted to become the law enforcement then you know i think that there could be some changes made there that's a that's an amazing point um i i was actually i was thinking that that same thing um about this defund the police movement and i know people mean like use the you know, take away the money they don't need and use the money, um, appropriate money more responsibly. And I, I get the concept. I think people are intimidated by the word defund. <laughs> um, and maybe it's not like explained as well. Um, but, uh, you know, these neighborhoods that you're talking about, 
there are thousands of black cops who are from these neighborhoods where their options uh, are either, you know, that doing whatever it is that's going on in those streets or some, you know, whatever low paying job that doesn't interest them or, or being a law enforcement officer or some sort of like, um, uh, you know, some sort of government related work. Um, but oftentimes it can be a law enforcement officer. And I think it's important to, for uh, uh, people having this conversation also to keep in mind that you're also talking about black cops. Um, you're also talking about people that come from those neighborhoods where these issues exist, where they had a choice and they made a positive choice. They wanted to go in a positive route. Um, and maybe that badge means something different to them than it does to, to other people. In fact, I'm sure it does. We spoke to a Delaware State Trooper um, on Dad's Night who said that same thing. But, you know, I, I, I was just thinking that as well, rough kind of like along the lines of what you were talking about, is that those people come from those neighborhoods too. Um, and they talk about this issue very differently, uh, you know, and, and they're very also like sympathetic and, and they agree with a lot of what's going on. There's no like, oh no, cop, you know, <laughs> blue lives matter and shit like they're, there's yeah, yeah. they're not talking about that they're they're black people from those neighborhoods and that's what they care about you know yeah. so. and on further i'm not like a all cops are bad guy i i know that there are good police officers and um you know the the news likes to say or we like to say that there's just a few rotten apples in the system, but I think that, you know, the tree, the tree is rotten. So it might not be your intention, but um, it's hard to wear that badge being part of a system um, that was specifically put there, um, going back to the history lesson that Kelvin gave us, that was specifically put there uh, to oppress and to, um, you know, do its job but yeah i mean how i grew up was fuck the police you know and i'm just i'm just being honest like we ain't fuck with them they ain't fuck with us my people's told me don't you ever call 911 and some shit go down in this house we'll figure it out um and that's just how it was like i don't think i've ever died one for anything <laughs> um it ain't even a thought you know what I'm saying? Like, if some shit go down, like I'm gonna call my family and we're gonna figure this out. Or that's just what it was. Like, you know, um, like, and again, I know there's some good cops, like, like Russ said, I know there is, but you are, it's almost like, um, you know, working for a, a mortgage company that is, uh, you know, committing tax fraud fundamentally or is, you know, giving out uh, shark loans that hurt people in the long run. Yeah, you might be a good person, but you work for a company that is fucking over thousands of people mm. fundamentally. So it doesn't matter how good of a job you do, the company you work for is set up to... Um, just like prey on it's people. Not, it, it, period. I mean, that's just what it is. Um, unfortunately, you know. Yeah. No, I, I think you guys brought up some awesome points here. Uh, you know, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I did.